G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. 2020, a conversation I'll invite you to join into very shortly. We're going to turn our attention to what is a really, really significant and I think very practical issue and talking about the future leadership roles, whether it's church or ministry, or it might even relate to your small business or any organization that you're a part of. So many leaders have no succession plan for their next generation, and there's often a tendency to leave a leadership role either too early or too late. There's often no plan for someone else to take the reins if there were things like retirement or tragedy, in fact, any sort of sudden change. Now, it means the viability of churches or ministry organizations can be severely hampered and even lost in the event of unplanned change. So it's a conversation today, and probably more specifically for leaders, but everyone who's part of any organization, you'll appreciate the sorts of discussion that we'll have today, but leaders in preparing successes handing over the leadership, sustaining the next generation. Well, our special guest today believes leaders need to think so highly of their successes that they should put them first. He's recently released a book that helps leaders think through what happens to church or ministry when it's time for transition. Paul Rattray's book is called The First Will Be Last, a book about a leadership paradigm learned in hard places. Paul is the Impact a Nation Manager for CV Asia Pacific. CV stands for Christian Vision. He oversees National Pioneers Initiative projects across the globe and is on the front line helping leaders navigate change. Paul, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Hey, Paul, let's talk about your book because I'm interested in the title, The First Will Be Last, a book about a leadership paradigm learned in hard places. I suspect this is part of your story. What's the beginnings of the thinking for your book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think I would have needed to think about these things if we hadn't faced the sort of crisis that we faced in uh, East Timor, where we were threatened directly by the leaders in that country and uh, one president in particular um, for the expulsion of all of our foreign workers who at the time numbered about 100 people. Okay, little context here, CV Asia Pacific and your work in East Timor, uh, a media organisation. Give us a little uh, insight into the sorts of things you were doing in East Timor and uh, brought about the, uh, the the real crisis that you're talking about. Yeah, so with uh, CV, we have two major strategies. One is to touch a billion, and that tends to be through media, 
and the other one is to impact nations, which tends to be through mission work. And so this was an impact a nation project where we were um, preaching the gospel and we were, by God's grace, winning people to Christ. Um, and because of that, we were challenging the power of other organizations that really felt challenged by so many new believers um, following Christ and perceived to be of another faith. Okay, so there's issues, uh, religious tensions in all of that as well. And so that provides a, a background. Of the idea that we talk about uh, a leadership paradigm learned in hard places, uh, you were faced with the idea that uh, if we're removed from this context, we will have no one to carry on. Absolutely. And so within the context of East Timor, for those who are not aware uh, when we went in there, East Timor was newly independent. In that conflict, uh, more than a third of the East Timorese people had been killed. The people who were left behind were extremely traumatised, understandably. And the people who we worked with in country were first-generation believers. Very few of them were well-educated and none of them had any leadership experience. And so this was the challenge, this was the crisis that we faced when threatened with the expulsion of our foreign workers. Wow. Paul, what we talk about when we discuss the ideas of what happens in a major mission context like a Christian presence in that, as you were describing, the newly formed nation of East Timor, uh, the the things that happen on a big scale, these same sorts of principles apply, uh, and we notice them more in big organisations, but they apply to small organisations too. In fact, is it the case that a small organisation is not even likely to grow large unless you've got some of this sort of idea about who takes over the leadership for a next generation? Uh, this is uh, applicable right across the board, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's spot on. In fact, when... Some of my first drafts were being read. One of the editors, uh, she's a small business owner and a mum, and she said, you know what, this stuff is applicable, as applicable for me as a mum as it is a small business owner because you're spot on, 100% right, that yes, this is something that happens at scale, in other words, in large organisations, but actually large organisations in many cases can absorb these challenges better than small organizations where if the main visionary or the principal of that company or organization is for some way reason sidelined, um, if they haven't prepared someone in advance of that happening, there's a good chance that that organization might actually die. And when you bring it down to the level we can all appreciate, the idea that this applies as much to a mother as it does to a big organisation, what's going through my mind is what doesn't happen typically as much as it used to, but the idea of having godparents would have been a way that you could ensure the spiritual 
maturity of your own children in the case that, you know, your wife and you were hit by a bus and uh, and your children are left orphaned. Uh, there's this idea that somebody's there who's ready to take on the opportunity to lead. And, and it certainly works in families as it does in all sorts of organisations. It, it does. And it's interesting how you put that because um, there's a scripture where Paul the Apostle is talking to his uh, successors uh, presumably in this particular case in reference to Timothy, but perhaps there were others. We know there's Titus, and we assume many others, where he says, um, you have many instructors or guardians. Uh, however, you do not have many fathers, and yet I became your father in Christ. And I believe what he's saying is that nothing beats having that person who is close to us, who can mentor us and guide us, usually someone who's older than us. And yet uh, that is often missing, um, obviously, at that point in time. But even more so, I think, where we have access to so much information. We have literally tens of thousands of instructors that we can draw from, say, on the internet, online, and yet the same thing applies. We have very few fathers or mothers who are able to play that role of guiding us and mentoring us, and that is missing in so many organisations and lives. So we can go to a YouTube clip, we can Google all sorts of uh, articles and uh, images and all sorts of things that might give us a lot of detail, but that in itself is not a replacement for the sort of relational things that we talk about if we're, as Christians, when we're talking about discipleship, this idea of mentoring, but it's personal and it's relational and it's passing on something of the of your own self to the next generation. Is that a, a way of starting to talk about how you personalize this? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and for me, uh, some of those um, concepts as scriptures really spoke to me where uh, in the parable of the vineyard workers at the end of that uh, passage in verse 28, Jesus says, uh, and, and in some versions it says, do as I do. In others it says, you know, do what I did. Follow my example. And that is, as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think a lot of times we look at that in its spiritual sense, but this is actually quite practical. And this was how I uh, understood that passage. And, you know, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, um, what you've heard from me, pass on to others who can then pass this on to other qualified people. And, you know, for me, these were really insightful moments as I read through these passages, with a new sense of, in a sense, crisis, knowing that we had to do something different to what we were currently doing at that point in time. Otherwise, the work that we were doing uh, in this country was going to be threatened, uh, potentially with uh, failure. 
This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You can respond to today's Facebook question. How do you think your church or organization's leaders should prepare for sudden change or tragedy? Find that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Paul Rattray is our guest. He's written a book. It's called The First Will Be Last, a book about a leadership paradigm learned in hard places. Now, just so happens that Paul's good friend at Business Blessings, Wes Leak, has a special page set up where you can download Paul's book absolutely free today. And uh, you can find out about a podcast that Paul does with Wes called Sacrificial Succession. It's businessblessings.com.au businessblessings.com.au you could forward slash sacrificial succession find out how you can get a free copy of Paul's book today Paul let's talk about some more biblical foundation here because sometimes we're just not thinking about the consequences of what happens when you've got a change of leader but there's lots of examples perhaps we could focus on one of the biggest examples and most uh, obvious ones in some sense Moses and the transition transition of leadership to Joshua uh, when they entered into the promised land as the children of Israel. What were your thoughts around this sort of foundation and the idea of succession planning? Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting you go there um, because I found their stories inspirational. And, and when I was first thinking about this, actually was when I was... Um, talking with my uh, doctoral supervisor, he asked me an interesting question. um, And I think he was surprised with my answer because he said, in my view, Joshua was one of the most perfect leaders of the Old Testament. What do you think? And I said, you know what? I am inclined to agree with you. I named one of my sons Joshua, so I think very highly of him. I said to him, in terms of succession, I would have to say that Moses did a much better job. And the reason why is because if we look at Moses, he prepared Joshua and Caleb. If we look at Joshua, he really prepared no one. And he decided that the project, you know, conquer Canaan, was finished, I believe, perhaps before its time, because not all the land was conquered. And following from Joshua, we have the time of the judges, whereas where it says everyone did what they thought was wise or fit. Well, what an absolutely wonderful insight. And uh, for listeners to hear a critique of Joshua's leadership like that, uh, just outstanding, just amazing, and does certainly highlight this powerful image and this powerful uh, reputation uh, that Moses had as being uh, the great leader. And uh, one of the elements of his leadership was in his ability to be able to have a succession plan to raise up Joshua and Caleb 
and to have them take over the leadership. But yes, as you say, a level of failure there from Joshua because he didn't, uh, in fact, go and completely take the promised land. Uh, And so there may be some issues there. And of course, yes, the leadership beyond that. Some uh, New Testament examples. Let's, uh, Let's talk about the Apostle Paul. And of course, he had a number of successes. You began to talk about Timothy and Titus, but Paul was all about this succession planning everywhere he went, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And, you know, he he was a real uh, inspiration to me, especially in thinking through some of the practicalities of this, because I I guess I just looked at this as really pragmatically. (laughs) My wife always says that's my middle name. Um, But when you think about 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, how many generations of leader were being prepared. Well, we have Paul as the first generation saying to Timothy, the second generation, to prepare those who are qualified to lead, third generation, who will then be able to teach and pass this on to others, fourth generation. And so for me, it gave me an insight into the need for having at least three generations working together. And another example that really inspired me, and in fact this may may sound very deep, but it helped me to understand the Trinity better. Because in a practical sense, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He also said to his disciples when sending them out, I'm not going to leave you as orphans I, because if I, return, if I don't return to the Father, the Holy Spirit will not come and he will help you do greater things than even I have done. And to me, that really gave me a, a great picture, practical picture of, of what the Trinity is. It helped me to understand so much better um, the Trinity, but also the principles behind, you know, coming to serve, being willing to sacrifice, but also being willing to stay on and to sustain. And those three elements became the really key parts of what sacrificial uh, succession is all about. A couple of minutes out from news, let's take a call. Mark is on the line in Port Lincoln in South Australia. Hi, Mark. Welcome along. Hi, how are you? Very well, Mark. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with um, some of them. This day and age, most of the leaders can't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. Okay. Leaders' difficulty fighting their way out of a wet paper bag. In other words, uh, leaders are on a a process of learning and uh, not in the calibre, certainly, of what we're talking about as these biblical examples. And I think we can probably all humble ourselves a little bit there. But, Mark, a little more specific? Well, I used to be an evangeliser, and I used to deal with a lot of um, uh, street kids. And, unfortunately, one day um, I went into one house and he said thank you very much for your help and blew his brains out and when I went to the church looking for um, help and sympathy I got zilch I got brought into the office and grilled over it Mm. 
Well, that's perhaps a little bit of a sideline issue to the leadership succession we're talking about today. But yes, there's certainly a pastoral care element there. And you might hope that you get the support of leaders when you're on the front line and you have to deal with those sorts of tragedies. Uh, let's get. Uh, is there a thought or two from you, Paul? Uh, though we're not on specifically on topic there, any thought for Mark? Well, what I would, you know, say first of all is that, um, you know, that's on a, at a personal level, that's just oh, it's terribly tragic. Uh, what happened, as well as what he shared about the support. Um, I think Mark is someone who's pioneering. We work with a lot of people who are pioneering um, in the work that we do because we're going into new places amongst new uh, peoples. One thing we have learned and we put into practice very strongly and intentionally is that anyone who's being sent out to do any sort of pioneering work, which of course includes evangelism, must be sent out by a local church and that local church must be willing to take responsibility for their ministry. And I think, again, Paul the Apostle was a great example of that where even when he went out on his new missionary journeys going to new places, he was sent out by the leadership of a church. They prayed over him, they commissioned him to go out even from churches that he actually uh, planted and established himself. Okay. So I think this relationship is so vital, and sometimes it's missing. And when it's missing, I think that both sides of the equation, the pastoral and the pioneering, they are poorer for it. Mark, I want to thank you for your call, and uh, listeners will have detected a level of cynicism there about leadership in church, and uh, my encouragement to you is to keep a soft heart and uh, keep those biblical examples to the fore, because oftentimes our earthly examples will let us down, and we do need to keep soft-hearted. Mark, thank you so much for your call. About to go to news. Paul, let's give some attention here. Uh, to the idea that most Christian organisations don't have a succession plan. That might be a surprise to a lot of listeners. What are your thoughts? Uh, Well, that's what the research of Christian Management Australia says. Um, And certainly, you know, anecdotally, uh, that's backed up by most of the organisations and people that uh, I've worked with, and not only here, overseas as well. Um, and even in secular research by um, Stanford University uh, is indicative that there are only only about 15% of organisations are intentionally preparing uh, successes. That means people who can take over from a current leader. Uh, and a lot of times I think people get the understanding of of succession mixed up with training. Um, there's a, uh, a Harvard University uh, professor who often uses the term leadership uh, pipeline. I'm really talking about a leadership pipeline because a lot of organisations say, you know, we, well, we train hundreds of people or hundreds of people are going through our training program. Um, that is not the same as intentionally preparing someone who could replace you 
in a particular role. Wow. Very different. You know, we... So we need to understand what these terms mean sometimes uh, so that we don't get a false sense of security about something that we're doing when actually that is not the outcome. So important and easy to underrate the importance of this issue because we sow our blood, sweat, toil and tears into our local churches, into Christian ministries, into the small groups we're a part of, into the businesses that we grow. And at the stroke of a pen or at some level of tragedy that can happen quickly, all of that can be lost. So the idea of talking about a successor uh, is something that is common sense and necessary. I wonder whether, Paul, you've given thought to why we might be in this position and make everything we do so vulnerable. Are we fearful of uh, losing some level of prestige as the leader? Uh, what's the, what's the, the reasoning? You must have uh, given this some fairly deep thought. Why are leaders not interested in succession planning? Yeah, um, I can think, uh, you know, immediately of examples from some of the projects that I've been involved with where commonly the response is, for example, in East Timor, and, and these are not wrong responses, by the way. They're the reality. The response in East Timor was these potential successes, by the way, we had none when we started thinking about it, uh, they're not ready. They're not emotionally ready because of the tragedies and conflicts that they've faced. They're not intellectually ready because they're not educated and they're not exper uh, experienced. They don't have the experience. They come from different ethnic backgrounds. So there's some ethnic differences that have to be considered. And so the consensus of the leadership in country at the time was they're not ready. Uh, in another case, they train, they're probably the best training organization I've ever worked with. But when we went back into the organization itself and I asked them, have you prepared for the eventuality that you will need to be replaced? They said, you know what? We've never thought about it really. And when we did bring it up, our leadership felt that they didn't want to take the risk of thinking about preparing someone new even though the current generation were already heading towards retirement age. And then another organisation, they just weren't willing to take the risk, even though the current leader had prepared someone. Uh, actually, in your industry, uh, Neil, they'd prepared someone. That was a media organisation, um, but the board had decided we're just, we, we will not take the risk of... Help, uh, giving someone new, someone much younger, this opportunity. And sometimes that can be a fear of offending the current leader who's doing a good job and uh, by indicating that somehow or other we're interested in your successor, you may be on the way out. Uh, there's some fear there. The interesting thing is here that oftentimes when you have a larger organisation, there's a board who might be responsible for the succession planning. So not always incumbent upon the CEO. Uh, so how does it work with bigger organisations where there's a board who might be responsible for the ongoing uh, good things that an organisation does? 
Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question because we do tend to think of it corporately, but actually I think the principles should apply no matter what size of organisation. And for me, the best example of that came from uh, Matthew chapter 20, when the sons of Zebedee, and in other versions, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came and approached Jesus and asked him whether or not her sons could sit at the right and left hand of God, with the implication being that they would make the best next generation leaders. It's very interesting what Jesus said in response, because there are many times where Jesus immediately nipped something in the bud. You know, for example, with Peter, get get behind me, Satan. Um, But he said to them, he said, can you drink from the cup which I'm about to drink? And they said, yes. And he said to them, yes, indeed you will. So he didn't say, no, you won't be part of this. What he said was, it is not my authority alone who makes this decision about who sits at the right and left hand. It is my Father in heaven. And this is a really important principle that needs to be understood in a sacrificial succession is that we must be under authority as any leader who is preparing potential successors. We must be under the authority of a board or some group of leaders who are able to provide us with the wise insights and input and independence because anyone who is being sacrificial about succession, they are investing in someone else, they're spending time, they have a close relationship, and all of those things are vital, and yet you need to have people in authority over you, be they mentors, trustees, whatever, to be giving you advice and helping to make that final decision about anybody who will become a potential successor. Oftentimes when we talk about the sort of advice you're uh, alluding to here, that might come through someone you might call an external consultant. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we don't want to expose ourselves in a leadership role to what a consultant might bring. Are there tensions there? Because obviously having an external consultant, if they've got a a great understanding of what it takes to have success and change, which is going to be for the good org- of the organisation. That's going to be a positive thing. What are your thoughts for uh, the idea that uh, that it doesn't matter whether you've got a small church or a big church or a big ministry organisation, that somehow or other you have to get some sort of objective insight coming from outside? Well, this may sound um, as if I'm, you know, potentially anti-consultants. I'm not. That was the line of work that I was in. Uh, In my previous life as a businessman, I actually established a consultancy to do with executive orientation into predominantly um, uh, Asian countries, Indonesia in particular. So I'm not against uh, consultants, but I believe that in this context of sacrificial succession, because the investment is in people, usually within your organization, identifying them. You need to know those people. You need to know those who have served well 
and serve without expectation. And so you need people to advise you who have skin in the game, as we've put it. And I'll give you a practical example. So in all of our projects that we run uh, overseas, uh, our pioneering projects, we always have on our advisory board people who actually are involved in the project and are actually sending out pioneers on the ground who are involved with the project so that the decisions that they make are in the best interests of the people involved, not necessarily directly objective in a professional sense as a consultant would be coming in to identify shortfalls or pitfalls or gaps, you know, doing a gap analysis, which was some of the things that, that I did. This is very much about being a part of the process, having a heart in this, having a stake in what's happening, really being stakeholders who are directly involved in the process of serving, sacrificing and sustaining uh, a successor and a succession. What I can hear you saying here is if you're talking sacrificial succession, uh, it's not just a matter of recruiting a new leader to take over because they have some sort of skills in their background, uh, but there's something more personal in that, uh, the raising of your own leaders, uh, the capturing of the heartbeat uh, of an organisation. Is this the sort of thing that you're preferring rather than the idea of, oh, well, uh, there's one leader down, we better just uh, advertise for a new one? Yeah, and if you look at the constitutions of some churches and some organisations, they will actually leave quite a a good period of time between appointments of one leader to the next because the assumption is that they will find an external um, leader to replace a current leader and the current leader essentially has no say in the process. And that may well be wise if, uh, you know, there's wrongdoing or the person is being asked to leave because they are not serving uh, the organisation's vision well. But um, what we've always found is that the best people are those that have been uh, observed over a period of time. And, you know, in the case of uh, East Timor and many other places where we we work or we have worked, like Ukraine on the battlefront between the Russian-backed forces and Ukraine, uh, in Indonesia, uh, amongst people of the majority religion of Indonesia, um, these are places where uh, there is not a natural level of trust between people. And yet what we have asked them to do in Myanmar, the same is that um, we are asking you to have a level of trust in people like uh, Jesus did with his disciples. Two of them betrayed him, by the way, Um, uh, like Paul did with uh, his protégés and successors, where you are investing in them and you are taking the time. In East Timor, we took about three years thereabouts to observe whether or not the people who would be our uh, successors in the future as protégés, how did they serve? Did they serve others without expectation? 
Did they serve others through their uh, role? Uh, you know, we have words in the Bible. Again, from this passage is one of them, you know, diakonos, from which we get the word deacon, or in the Westminster system, we get the word minister. There was an understanding that they would serve through their leadership role. Well, we also want to take one step back and we want to observe people and say, how do they serve when there's no expectation of a leadership role? How do they serve people especially who may be subordinate to them or maybe lower down the pecking order? That's the sort of thing that we want to observe about serving um, before we start to make decisions about whether or not we want to prepare them as potential um, leaders. And we want to make that observation over a period of time. Uh, it's not something that you can easily do just by looking at a resume. Well, as some churches and ministry organisations will talk about what they call formation, and uh, that's not an instant thing. That's not happening over a couple of weeks. Uh, that's happening over what you say here. It could be years. And uh, the idea of being able to observe character and not just a little bit of charisma. Uh, running short of time here, Paul, I wonder if we can perhaps tie some loose ends together if we were to, in some sense here, talk about the profile of this sacrificial uh, leader that you're talking about here. So for uh, what sort of uh, profile would you say these are the things that need to happen if you're going to be able to have an organisation that's going to remain viable and fruitful uh, through generations? So what's the profile of this leader look like? Well, the profile of the leader first of all, to some extent, will depend on those in authority that are sending them out, you know, and we just go back to what Jesus said, as the, I, I don't say anything that the Father doesn't say. Um, everything he said to his disciples, you are no longer servants, you're my friends, because everything that the Father has taught me and has told me, I am passing on to you. This is a requirement at the outset is that the those in authority in the organization are actually willing to go through this process of serving with someone, sacrificing leadership and sustaining them because it requires a period of time to be set aside in each one of those stages by each of the people who are playing their part you know, that say that one being discipled, the leader who's preparing to hand over to a disciple, and then uh, the one who has already been prepared, uh, perhaps as a successor. So this is a cycle that is ongoing. And if we don't put the steps into place, what you'll often find is, as an example, uh, in a large organization in Sydney, where the person felt that he had the servantship qualities, and that's always a danger sign if someone thinks that themselves, and also decided this was the time when the current leaders should hand over to them. Uh, to me, that pretty much disqualifies a potential successor when they behave in that way. So it means that we observe, and in practical terms, I think incentives need to be put into place. Uh, and those incentives could be 
that, you know, dividends that are paid to an outgoing leader need to be incumbent and conditional on the fact that they are actually preparing someone who can take over from them, that they hand over within the period of time that uh, they are given to be a leader in that organisation. And that averages 10 years from the research. The average is about 10 years. So we could say roughly we need about three years of preparation for a uh, successor. Then we need about a year or so more to the, the practicalities of transitioning and handing things over. And then another three years minimum of um, being able to help to sustain that person, which means the previous leader leads from behind in helping to sustain that person. We don't have those models as a rule built into the way that we remunerate people. And I believe that if we were going to put this into place, we would need to have remuneration models that match that. And to some extent, we've done that in our projects, either through incentives or direct remuneration. Well, I know listeners will be able to hear of the importance of a conversation like this today. We have run out of time. I do want to draw attention, though, to a podcast that you can access. And I know that there'll be some who are absolutely astounded by the idea that the research would show in Australia Christian ministry organisations have no succession plans. And uh, that would be uh, very, very dramatic uh, findings in that research and that would intensify the importance of a conversation like this today. There's a podcast you can check into and you can hear much more of the uh, wonderful treasures in the insights of our guest today. The podcast is called Sacrificial Succession. In fact, Paul Rattray, who has been our guest over this past hour, has written a book. It's called The First Will Be Last, a book about a leadership paradigm learned in hard places. A free opportunity to get a hold of a download of that book today. There is a website. It's called businessblessings.com.au. And uh, Business Blessings, led by Wes Leak. And it's Wes, who is a part of the initiative, uh, with Paul Rattray to put together the podcast called Sacrificial Succession. And you'll be able to access that podcast too when you go to the Business Blessings website. So businessblessings.com.au forward slash sacrificial succession. And you can download Paul's book for free on that website page today businessblessings.com.au. Paul Rattray, uh, just great getting your insights. Uh, Thank you so much for being prepared to share those with listeners today on 2020. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.